Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is in the building. The, I, I don't know, what are, what is our moniker we want to go by with you today, Matt Penny? You're very formal with the full name. I don't know. It's it's like the full government edition. This is, this is a little awkward for us. Well, no, we can't go full government uh, as we saw yesterday in the United States. No, I don't, I don't oh, think God. we want to go full that government. That took seven seconds. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think we want to do that. Uh, yeah, no, uh, unless you're like about to start a coup to take over the Game Theory podcast and become the new host. No, like, I that's, think that's, that's the only six, way. That's six months away. Yeah, that's the next administration. Yeah. The next administration. Okay. That, so, that's yeah. why I like it. It's, it's funny. We joke it, and... You say, how you doing? It's like, I'm trying to be like you. You, you move to Australia. Every other time I text you, you're going for like a wine tour, or a coffee walk. I think you may have like figured it out ahead of the curve of everybody else. No, like literally in the middle of the coup yesterday, I was like on a walking tour of, uh, Melbourne's CBD, the central business district, uh, because Melbourne has this incredible like alleyway coffee culture. So we went to like four different alleyways and learned a ton about like Australian coffee and stuff like that. It was actually pretty amazing. Um, and then meanwhile, I still don't. So like all, all things on the table here, I still don't have my phone set up here. Like I don't have an Australian phone number. So every time that Laura and I go out, I'm like dead to the world, right? Uh, except for those like rare times where I will be like, Hey, Laura, I need a hotspot. Like, I just need to know what's happening in the world. Right. So my phone is on permanent airplane mode, essentially. Hence why it's such a struggle to get a hold of me sometimes when you try to text me and then I don't respond for eight hours in yeah, the middle of the day for me. You also have a, yeah, exactly. An eight hour time difference. I just now picture when you don't respond. It's like that scene at the end of. The Dark Knight Rises when Batman and Selena Kyle are like drinking coffee. I don't know, patio and <laughs> Alfred shows up. That's me. I'm just going to show up one day and you can just give me a head nod and acknowledge that we used to do a pod together. That's it. No, I'm just like sitting here and like we ended up going to brunch after and I'm looking at the news and it's just like, what in the entire fuck is happening in the United States? And uh, I, I am... Anxiously awaiting your arrival in Australia to try and rush my uh, wife's parents' house that we're staying at in order to <laughs> yeah, take over the Ameri- podcast feed. America's favorite guest to Australia's favorite guest. It's doable. Tell yeah. my wife. We might be on a plane soon. She's she's ready. She's ready? Good. Yeah. We're, we're all in. We're happy to have you here. Um, but really, like, it's not funny. Like, it's terrible. Like, we should not be not joking so, about yeah. it. It's it's an abomination to the United States that this happened yesterday. Uh, and we need to, hopefully, as the new administration comes in, do things a little bit better. But good Lord. Uh, yeah, what a, what a disaster yesterday. As I was in the middle of a coffee tour of Melbourne, the United States decided to attempt a... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we want to call it a coup. It sounds sounds like an insurrection is maybe the best word for it. I don't know what AP style is using here. Yeah, just a disaster all around. All right, so let's um let's jump in. So we want to today talk about upperclassmen that are in the 2021 NBA draft, and we're going to talk a little bit about transfers because. This year is going to be unlike any NBA draft that 
I can certainly remember. And of course, COVID is going to play a role in it. But the biggest reason that COVID is going to play a role in it is that there is really not actually a draft pool this year that is certain right now. Because the NCAA decided to give every player in college basketball and in all winter sports and in all fall sports, if I remember correctly, an extra year of eligibility, there is no set senior draft pool. Like every year, typically, as we hit January, we know that there are going to be something like, you know, 50 guys that are at least like E10 level players that are seniors in college basketball that are going to be in this draft. This year, we don't actually know that because everyone can actually return to college basketball if they want. Like, if Corey Kispert wants to run it back again next year, despite the fact that uh, I have him as a lottery guy right now. Corey Kispert. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know if he's running it back. He'll be a top 10 guaranteed money. But this is, a, this is a good fantasy world operation we're running. Right. Like, Corey Kispert has that prerogative to go back to Gonzaga and decide, hey, I am going to take a run at either back-to-back NCAA championships or being the guy who leads Gonzaga to an NCAA championship for the first time, depending on what happens here. But the guys that this really affects is someone like Carly Jones at Louisville, for instance, or, uh, you know, Olivier Saar at Kentucky. And it creates these fascinating roster conundrums as well for college coaches and i think i want to start there as opposed to talking about like the nba draft of it all because we will talk about a lot of prospects that we like i want to spend a lot of time you know from the middle to end of this podcast talking about some upperclassmen that we really like as draft prospects and guys that we think could really stick in the nba but there is such a strange, difficult decision-making process for a lot of these guys that have decided to transfer early. So, like, take Oscar Shibway, Caleb Mills, uh, Namari Burnett at Texas Tech just decided to leave school at least. Uh, I mean, it seems like from Sham Sharani is reporting that he's considering going pro. Uh, spoiler alert. Namani Burnett, please do not go pro. That is a bad idea waiting to happen. Yeah, five points per game in the Big 12. Not not ready yet. Well, and like I thought he was an overrated prospect, too. Just to be 100% real with it. Uh, I, I did not think he was a five-star level prospect. Did you? I actually liked him. I thought he had the tools to, to be there. But I quickly saw after a couple of games that it was going to take some time. And I don't think that he wanted to wait around for said time to develop. Right. And... If you're a kid like Namari Burnett or Oscar Shibway or Caleb Mills, you obviously might be trying to beat some guys to the punch here. Like these three guys, I think are going to have their pick of the litter in terms of whatever school they want to go to. Probably going to take them. Shibway and Burnett had the five star status. Caleb Mills was the preseason AAC player of the year. Uh, teams aren't going to like not take them, right? Because they're worried about roster constraints, but I will say, like, if you're a team like Kentucky right now, right, and you're chasing Oscar Shibway, I don't necessarily know how you do that with a ton of confidence because, yeah, I think he's better currently than all of the bigs that they have right now on their roster. I think he's a better college basketball player than Isaiah Jackson is right now. 
And I think he's probably, frankly, a better college basketball player than Olivier Saar is right now. But, and this doesn't matter for scholarship constraints because teams are getting like the extra two scholarships, for instance, if Davion Mintz and Olivier Saar decide to return to school. Like, it's not like they have to just excise those scholarships, right? But if Olivier Saar returns to school and Isaiah Jackson returns to school, which like, look, we're excited about Isaiah Jackson's athleticism. Isaiah Jackson has no idea how to play defense right now. Like he is a you, toolsy. You could argue a little bit offense too. I mean, there's, no, there's yeah. tools. We talked about the last one. Like his, his best move is, is putbacks and being in the dunk spot and catching and finishing. Right. And I think that there's real upside for him as a roller, but if there's a chance that you're going to get back Olivier Saar next year, who is like not really on the NBA draft radar, um, you know, teams have him on watch lists, certainly, but he's not a guy that NBA teams are enthused about, certainly. Uh, he is more of a professional player overseas, and he might want to start his career of making money overseas uh, by the time, you know, the spring and summer rolls around. That's totally plausible. Uh, Olivier Saar might still go pro but he might return and if you have olivier sar back and you have isaiah jackson back and you still have lance Ware, and you have damian collins coming in right and you still have jacob toppin who's really a four man like and, and, and bryce hopkins who's a four that's coming in and keon brooks who was a four right you're, you're, like, you're crowded you probably don't want to take oscar Sheepway, even though he is better than currently everyone on the roster i think that isaiah jackson probably would be better by oscar better than oscar shibway by the time next year would roll around if he would stay at kentucky but you also kind of have to stay in the mix for shibway because you could lose both jackson and olivier czar the roster conundrums for these college teams are more complicated than at any time that i can remember in college basketball history they are. I'd also add to that that you're seeing St. Louis the other day. I think it was Hassan French. I want to say Jordan Goodwin. You may be able to look it up. Said like they're not coming back for that extra year already. So you have guys kind of like, I don't know if you'd say helping teams or at least alerting them earlier than usual that like, hey, go use that spot on someone else. Sure. I know like the high, I know the high majors are like dealing with this right now, but like this has also been what low and mid majors have had to do forever. Like, Andy Tool at Robert Morris, like he's had to re-recruit five, six guys every year who transfer. They have a good year. They transfer up and the high majors will continue to dip down there even more so now with the one-time transfer rule that they don't have to sit out. So it's a little bit of like welcome to the party, I think for me in, in that regard. But for the higher level guys transferring the Oscar Shibways, Caleb Mills, Namari Burnett today, we're just we're in this place where so much is expected like so soon and so early that the guys like don't develop if they're not averaging 15, 20 points per game. It's considered a failure. I'd say like Caleb Mills is yeah. preseason player of the year, the conference, like Oscar Shibway was starting. Those are top 10 teams like Namari Burnett. They're a top 20 team. He's going to get better. I was talking to a grassroots coach yesterday and he coaches a kid who's probably a second round guy firmly in the second round wants to come back to school but he's already getting pressure from his hometown and from the people around him to go pro 
So when that is weighing on you so heavily, I feel like guys are rushed to say they're going to go pro like Nogel Eastern did at, at Howard. He would you know, transfer from Purdue to kind of was got to go to Michigan and then he was a Howard. You know what? I'm going to go pro. Namari Burnett may be able to look at the pro thing. A lot of guys in the second round may do it. So it's, it's continues to be a funky year. I, I just didn't necessarily see those guys, high level guys transferring mid season like they have so far. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised by it, but, and you know what? Like, I think that this is where the, like, the tampering conversation is going to get, like, serious. Like, we're, we're going to hear from all of the college basketball purists about tampering, right? And how, oh my God, there's, you're not allowed to tamper. Guys, like, De- these define coaches. Define tampering, though. Define tampering. And I'm not a pro anti tamperer, but, like, people talk to everybody. So it's, it's what you kind of define as tampering, too. Right. Like people talk. It's an insular basketball industry. Like there are all these, like I've seen like on the West Virginia, like message boards, like these Adidas conspiracy theories about how uh, Adidas is tampering with Oscar Shibwe and trying to get him to an Adidas <laughs> yeah. school because yeah. he was on the Adidas circuit. Like, right. look, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know for sure that that's not happening. Uh, there is probably like there have probably been some conversations about that. I, I don't know about that. I-, I would speculate like, look, just knowing the basketball industry, there have probably been conversations about what options Shibwe would have if he was to leave West Virginia. And I've seen, for instance, like Fran Fraschilla say, like uh, he believes that there was tampering behind the scenes with Shibwe. You know what? Like, here's the deal with Shibwe. Like, he turned pro last year at the end of last season. He strongly considered going pro like in not only with the NBA, but like to other professional outlets and West Virginia convinced him to come back. And he was expecting a bigger offensive role from what I gather and a role that might allow him to take some jump shots and a role that would like, uh, you know, potentially allow him to expand his offensive skill set And, Part of this is on him that Derek Culver is just a better offensive player than he is right now. Oh my right? gosh. Was, was Oklahoma State the first game when he just rattled off 22 and 19 and like guarded Kate Cunningham in crunch time? It's like, okay, Oscar, like, see you later. Like, we're good here. Right. No, 100%. And, you know, I, I don't think West Virginia is sitting here like losing sleep about this because they have Derek Culver, who's a better offensive player and they look better playing four around one as opposed to three around two right. when neither of the two can do anything really outside of eight feet offensively in terms of like creating shots. Right. But like, I, I think that part of it is that Oscar wanted to go somewhere where he might get to showcase himself better, right? Like, I don't think this is a situation where tampering is the reason that he's leaving. I think the situation is that Oscar Shibwe wants to go somewhere where he can have a bigger role. And that's fine. At the end of the day, that is okay, I think. Period. Like, we need to let these kids make decisions. And, like, this this hand-wringing over tampering... Look, this year is going to be basically like open free agency because of the rules that the NCAA has set down. This is, this is the NCAA's own creation. They are letting these kids have a free transfer and they're letting them have an extra year of eligibility. Like, 
Yeah, the transfer portal, people are saying it's like got to be at all-time high. I don't disagree, but it's more like the free agency portal. Like they're not it doesn't have the the same effect as you're sitting out and the the waiver thing where guys were approved to play kind of got a, a little bit out of control the last year or two also, like who gets approved, who doesn't, who has extenuating circumstances. Well, the pro- the problem with that member. the problem with that was that there was no transparency regarding oh, no who no. was getting waivers and who wasn't. And there continues to be no transparency regarding NCAA eligibility because like, for instance, Sharif Cooper is still waiting for a decision uh, at Auburn right now. Like that is insane to me that we're sitting here on, we're recording this January 7th in the United States. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're a day ahead. You know, the Powerball numbers already in Australia. Yeah, I do. Um, we're sitting here on January 7th in the NCAA still has not given an answer to Sharif Cooper if he's going to be eligible at some point to play. Like, at least let the kid know if he's going to play. At least let the kid know if you're going to say, no, he can't play the rest of this year. Because there are plenty of professional teams that would take Sharif Cooper on their team. Like, it, it's, it, it, it eludes me that the NCAA still does not have the kind of transparency that we need, but that's a digression that is different from this conversation. The NCA has set up a rule, uh, like uh, rules this year, essentially that allows for transfers to happen and has essentially allowed for free agency. College coaches just have to work within that paradigm. And it's a much better paradigm for players than ever. So I, I struggle to see how, People would not be in favor of these kids getting free transfers unless you're simply just like a fan of a a fan of laundry, right? Like it is so much, which (laughs) is fine. Like you can be a fan of a team, but understand that like in a kid like Oscar Shibwe's situation, it helps his professional career. It helps his long-term outcome probably to leave West Virginia at this stage. It is a... Better outcome for him to leave. It just depends, though, too. It depends on, like, the role. And I I saw a tweet just before we hopped on about, like, he's got five Zoom meetings set up tonight with different colleges, which is is great. You know, dip your toes, check it out. But, like, Oscar Shibway, to me, kind of is who he is, right? Like, I don't think he's going to become... Sandro Mamu Kalashvili from Seton Hall. Like he's not going to play point no. forward and have the ball in his hands, have an incredibly high usage rate. It's just not going to happen. It, it, I don't know the situation, the nitty gritty of it. I do know that Adidas pays James Harden $20 million a year and Dame Lillard all this money. I don't think the people on Adidas are worried about Oscar Shibway transferring to an Adidas school. Maybe I'm naive. There, there's like bigger fish to fry over there. They got shoes to sell. Uh, well, like, but, look, yeah, here's the, the deal. Like, you, like, work closely with Under Armour. Like, does Under Armour give a shit where, like, mid-level, like, guy who's averaging nine and nine goes to school? No, I don't like, think do you- so. Not, nice story. Like, <laughs> it, like, it, like, it helps, but I don't think there's, there's some evil back room where people are like, how can we help a mid-major plus? Nine points, nine rebounds, what can we do? Like, there's... Message boards like make up their own falsehoods and realities with that too. And with everything that went on with like knowing the playbook and like all these federal things, I don't think anyone wants to mess with that at all. Like that, it's just, I don't know. It, it seems all kind of craziness. Transfer things are going to happen regardless. The roster thing is going to be, yes, insane. You're going to see bigger rosters than ever too. Yeah. I mean, normally you carry 13 scholarship guys. 
just the the teams are going to have more. Ivy League teams carry usually 17, 18 guys. It's going to be more. So it will be yeah. a crunch. And then it's also kind of hurting, and we don't have to get too deep into this, like current high school seniors just haven't yeah. really been seen because coaches yeah. can't go on the road and you can watch live feeds and some high schools are playing, some aren't. Some places have canceled altogether. So the biggest squeeze is going to be, I think, for those guys, especially signing late. Like you might see a lot of prep guys, some more JUCO guys in New Wood, guys going to lower levels just because there's going to be a log jam at high majors, guys taking known commodities, knowing what they are, taking these other high major transfers, and the odd man out is going to be this 2021 kid. Yeah, and you know, here's a uh, you know, you you brought up the idea of like Oscar Shibway is who he is. So like, how does you know he's probably not going to change himself? Yeah, I agree with you. He is what he is. But getting into a situation where he has an open paint to like you know roll into and go and crash the offensive glass, sure, sure, that would really help him. Like that would yes. help his no situation, and, and, right? And it helped Derek Culver immediately too. Maybe it's it's best yeah. for. For both parties, I mean, the, the the game has obviously changed. And when Bill Self's playing four out, one in, yeah, the world's about to explode. West Virginia does it. They go smaller. They have Emmett Matthews play a lot of the four, and they looked a lot better. They got a great right. win on the road. Right. Like, I think that they're a better team without Oscar Sheepway. I'm not going to lie. Which, which like, is crazy to say, especially preseason, especially a guy in such high regard and esteem and I remember when Kentucky was recruiting him in high school too, and, and Coach Calipari was kind of putting on the the late push when he was chasing him. He was as well regarded as a big, a post, a developing guy, raw, untapped potential. But it look, it wasn't the right fit. He's going to go somewhere else and play, and it, it'll end up being okay for everyone. Well, and you know, like we've seen some of the teams that are out there looking at Shibway, right? Like if I was Tennessee. You damn well better believe I'm going as hard as I can after Oscar Shibway because John Fulkerson's a senior. EJ Anasicki's a senior. Eve Pons is a senior. Like, you need bigs. Oscar Shibway, while he is probably not the best fit at West Virginia right now, and his departure leaves West Virginia, in my opinion, with a cleaner rotation and with a better team, he would be an incredible fit at Tennessee. And is still an incredibly effective college basketball player in the right situation. Uh, same with Illinois. If Illinois is going to lose Kofi Coburn this year because he goes to the NBA draft, then yeah, you better believe that they should go after Oscar Shibway because he would be in an, an immense help to their front court and he would fit exactly what Brad Underwood wants to do. So it, it's not that. I mean to like to bang on like Oscar Shibway, uh, being bad. Uh, I, th- I think he's a good college basketball player. And I think that at the end of the day, West Virginia is probably a little bit better off without him. And I think that Oscar Shibway is better off without West Virginia. So why are we, uh, why are we hand wringing about tampering here when this seems like a pretty clean break at the end of the day? Yeah. And, and still a, had a little bit better numbers last year, but still a, nine point eight rebound guy shooting fifty two, fifty five percent from the field. So it's he's gonna be fine. We're we're going nuts here. He'll be he'll be great. Any team would take him that has spacing shooters and needs a big. Yep. Absolutely. Uh is there any other kind of thing that we want to talk about with this transfer deal before we get out of here and start talking about uh 
talking about upperclassmen draft prospects that we're excited about. No, we've done the youth movement enough. I think we got to give the the older guys a little bit of uh, a little shine, a little credit here on the pod. Yeah, I love it. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back uh, in a minute here with more. All right. So we're going to talk upperclassmen that have impressed us so far this year, I think. And this is going to be juniors and seniors. Uh, we're not going to talk necessarily about like Matthew Hurt, Franz Wagner. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some other like sophomores, Trey Mann that have really stood out. We want to talk specifically about some of the older guys that look really good. One guy we might mention here is Quincy Garrier out of Syracuse because Quincy Garrier turns 22 this year. So he is like officially an elder statement, uh, elder statesman of the NBA draft and of college basketball, despite the fact that he's a sophomore, but we're going to stick to juniors and seniors here. And I think that we should start very briefly on the guy who I think is pretty clearly the best one. Uh, I got asked by an NBA scout two days ago, who is the guy in this draft class outside of the top five? So outside of Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kuminga, who is the guy that you feel most confident about? And my answer surprised me, but it was Corey Kispert. I said Corey Kispert pretty easily. Um, I feel like I have the most faith in him being a very, very good, very, very useful NBA player. And that's kind of kind of staggering uh, given where he was in the draft process last year for teams and given uh, given where he is right now. It's wild. He the stuff is totally translatable. He's also become your Malachi Flynn way early in the process like that. That was the drum. I think your drum now has Corey Kispert on it. I've said the same thing. I just think that the way he plays and shoots the basketball and moves, he passes better. There's just so many question marks in this, the top five, six, ten, whatever. I think you just know what you're getting from him. There's not going to be any surprises. Going back to school, he's been so much better than I thought he'd be. Like His jump is kind of the jump that you'd expect from somebody going from like freshman to sophomore year. It was like that significant. So I don't know if it's just extra hours in the gym or film or whatever, but it's all clicking and it helps having a great point guard in Jalen Suggs get you the ball in places you can score. Well, and having like multiple guards. Drew Timmy. And, yeah. And Josh Hay well, and Demard off the bench. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. And, and having like the most loaded roster that I can remember in college basketball. It, like, it makes you look really good when you have an undefeated team that may go undefeated all season playing with you. That was the jump. That's great. By the way, uh, so they play BYU tonight, and BYU, I think, is their second or third most likely loss on their schedule remaining. They uh, they beat BYU tonight. They have over a 50% chance to go unbeaten, according to Ken Palm. That's wild. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is... Uh, that is a number, because they are... That team is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, well, 
I think I think with upperclassmen and seniors too, especially like I, I was just looking at last year's draft and upperclassmen in the first round, uh, our Lord and Savior Peyton Pritchard in Boston, Udoka, Malachi Flynn, Desmond Bain, the highest draft that I believe was Pritchard at twenty six, despite Obi Toppin being twenty six years old. But there was eleven in the second round. If you look at the stats, it's early, but Desmond Bain and, and Pritchard are both top ten in minutes for all rookies. So these guys have just kind of been like forgotten and lost in the mix outside of, I would argue, Corey Kispert. And if you look at mock drafts, not only yours, but kind of across the internet here, sure. most lotteries are, are freshmen, maybe an international guy, maybe you slide a Corey Kispert in there, but it, it's so heavily dominated by underclassmen players. Yeah, I mean, the other uh, non-freshmen that I have right now are James Booknight, who is, you know, uh, I think he just turned 20. Uh, I've got David Johnson, who is a sophomore, who I believe just turned 20. And then Kai Jones, who is a sophomore, who I believe is still 19. So, yeah, like, it's it's a young young group this year. Uh, I've got... Young man's game, yeah. Yeah, like... Trey Mann is in my first round. I've got uh, Io Desunmu in my first round. Like it's when, when I talk to NBA evaluators, like still, and we'll talk about Desunmu. Maybe we can shift to Desunmu now because sure. uh, that is for me one of the more interesting conversations that I've had. Corey Kispert's awesome. Uh, I don't. I don't know that we need to say more. Um, there is still some very real skepticism regarding Io in a way that. I'm a little bit surprised about given that he's averaging like 23, seven and five and has like reputedly elite character and everything that teams look for production character, the jumper he's shooting over 40% from three. So like, I'm surprised that there isn't maybe a bit more uh, like tempered optimism there, but like, it's so mixed when I talk to evaluators about Dasunmu. Like, I'll get some late first rounders, but a lot of guys just think he's a second round pick. And I am surprised by that, I guess, at this point, given, uh, given the way he seems to have really taken a leap this year. It's even been more of a leap as the seasons wore on, too. He had back to back 30 point games against Penn State and Indiana. He, he caught kind of going back to the improvement thing. He caught a little bit of grief, I'd say, last year for not making that initial jump that people expected. And he, he yeah. has new. And it's like credit where credit's due. He's definitely more efficient than he was. The motor still runs on high. He can be a little bit reckless. And I think maybe some of the hesitation is like people aren't fully on board as him as on board with him as a primary facilitator or point guard. I mean, he's at his best when he's slashing. He's playing downhill. He hits like even an extra gear in transition when he sees like all this space and the the hoop of front the hoop in front of him. The half court it can just get a little bit funky too. Like the form, the mechanics on the jumper, I think are better, but the shot still is like all over the place. Like some of his misses, you're like, yeah. whoa, man! Like did not see that coming. Like off the side of the backboard, did not see that being short to left. And then he'll hit one. It's like okay, that looks right. Kind of jumps into it. Decent feet, good balance. I don't. I still don't know what to make of him. I'm definitely higher than I was. I mean, when we did the mock draft, I didn't have the top thirty. I probably thought somewhere in the second round, but has grown on me defensively. I I trust him a little bit. He has active hands. He'll lock and trail. He works hard. Most people have him now, kind of like crept into that late first round. And NBA guys are, are bigger fans based on conversations I've had too. 
So you you've had conversations with people where they're like pretty universal that he's a first rounder. I don't know if I'd say universal, no, but uh, but more people have said to me that they thought he was a first rounder than probably preseason. A yeah, I NBA do. Ag- guy, a lot of NBA guys had like I don't want to say goggles, but the story last summer was that like he had like this unbelievable summer and he was going to come back to school and be the guy he is right now. So yeah. because you kind of had that like lost year, I think people like looked at him a little bit differently. But now he's averaging twenty three seven and five. He's shooting fifty one percent from the field. He's unselfish. He's a leader. You can't write more high character stories on him. I mean, I think there was something on the Athletic earlier in the year where it was like some freshman was dogging it and he went to like coach Underwood. He's like, coach, he can't play here. He can't play for Illinois. So it's like that's the stuff that the NBA guys eat up on top of the production too. Yeah, and like by the way, we're talking lost season last year. He made like multiple game winners and like was second team all Big Ten. But no, 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 and I'm not saying he averaged six points per game and like you know was fighting people in the locker room. I just mean in terms no, 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 of no. Uh, I'm not blaming you. Lens. Yeah, like and I, I don't mean to blame you for saying that, but like that was the feeling when I talked to NBA teams because he shot under thirty percent from three. Like that's right. absolutely a thing that NBA teams kind of felt, despite the fact that he made leaps like across other aspects of his game yeah right well i I just had like i had a lot of stock in him and and then i probably sold it too early similar to what's going on with bitcoin right now uh so now (laughs) that he's like trending upward it's like i'm reluctantly like getting back on board with with the train yeah i think he's just really good i'm not gonna lie to you like i think he's just a fucking and illinois is really good like don't let's not say that that's not a huge factor in it too like they're cracking skulls too yeah, he's I think he's really good. I and look, like I agree with you generally. More NBA evaluators that I talk to say that they think he's a first round pick than said he was in the preseason. Right, I'm still right. getting more of a degree of skepticism than what I thought I would be at this point though. Which so is, what what do you think what do you think that's from? What the, I think people still just don't believe the shot. Just straight up and don't believe he's a point guard. Um, they think I, he I, is. I agree with those though. I mean, that's it, the shot. It, it does look better. I know it says 42%, but sometimes you're like, Oh, do not shoot that. No. And I don't think he's a 42% three point shooter. Uh, I think that where teams are is that if he's not a point guard and he's not a shooter, he needs to be like a secondary ball handler. And to be a secondary ball handler in the NBA, you really do have to be able to knock down shots off the catch. Right. Uh, it's yes. part of what's made Tyrese Halliburton so valuable so far this year. Right. He can make such rapid, quick fire decisions, but he also knocks down shots from three directly off the catch despite the funky release. Right. And that's part of why I really liked Halliburton coming into the draft last year and had him somewhere in the top seven, at least uh, on my board. So, like, I think that if you take away that shooting input, I do understand why why there would be some skepticism. I just think it's gone a little bit over the top, given all of the other inputs into Jasun Moose game. Uh, yeah, that again, I, I think that's pretty fair. I think with Halliburton too, it helps when you have such a speedy point guard that can get to the rim and to lane like De'Aaron Fox, and you can sit in the corner and catch yeah. and shoot. And if you're able to do that with, with AO and you trust that he can do it, it's going to help his game too. I don't think he's a point guard, but if you play with a guy like that, that wants to get, get up and down the court and get fast, and it's the right situation, then it could be a first round thing. Yeah, and look, like I don't think Dasunmu is 
Tyrese Halliburton at all either. Like I think Tyrese is just a better player. He's a better decision maker and a better shooter, and he's a bit more uh, translatable to the NBA because of that. But I think that he can, I think Io is going to be a good third guard. That's like a secondary playmaker. Like I would, I'd be pretty happy with him to be honest. Buy or sell you're buying. I'm buying. Like I will have him as a first rounder. I think, um, who do you want to go to next? We have a, we have a list of guys that we want to get to. I want to do Sandro. Can we do Sandro? Oh, Sandro. Yeah. I was talking to a coach that played Sandro early in the year and he was like, hey, what do you think of this guy? And I was like, I don't know. I, I didn't really like him in the draft last year. I didn't really see it. Um, you know, I, I I guess he's fine, but he's maybe a second rounder if he's willing to stash. I, I get the idea of him being a shooter and I get the idea of him being able to like pass and stuff. But he's 6'11". He's kind of caught between the four and the five. And I, I just don't know. And that coach, who I really like and is really, really smart, uh, he was like, no, you're wrong. I'm telling you, this guy's an NBA player. And that guy was proven right. I think yeah. that Sandro is <laughs> going to be an NBA player. You're, you're uh, dancing around it. I was more worried that you were going to reveal your source. I'm like, don't, Sam, don't snitch. This is how we get our info. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, Absolutely not. So, that coach was right. I think Sandro is a legit NBA player. No, I do. I mean, Kevin Willard, his head coach at Seton Hall, calls him the best player in the country. Patrick Ewing played him, called him an NBA player. So it's it's become a common thing. I had a college coach also reach out to me, and I had the same reaction. Like, eh, I don't know, 6'11", 240, shooting 30-something percent from three. But you watch it. I mean, he's coming off Big East Player of the Week. He's averaging 18, almost seven rebounds, three and a half assists. He had 32 against St. John's. He had 30 versus Penn State. His only really stinker was against Georgetown. He had like two points on one of five shooting, but this big hulking left-handed post and sort of like a, and this is lazy, like a poor man's Jokic type of role. Uh, he gets his assist often on the move. And like, I feel like yeah. he doesn't know how big he is sometimes. Like yep. he'll be at the top of the key. He wants to trail the play. Like he does not want to rim run. He wants to trail the play, initiate the offense, either take a three reverse it go into a screen get it back face up he he'll actually like they played st john's and the way st john's defends he needs to like bring the ball up like he legitimately played a lot of point guard not like people say he's 6'11 he's a big guard like he brought the ball up the court and started the play and i looked on synergy today coming off of ball screens i know it's despite it's only 12 possessions he's second in the country in points per possession like he doesn't know he's 6'11 240 uh, he's going to get his shots. He takes a lot. He averages almost 14 a game. And his defense, like you said, the four and the five is kind of like where I'm worried about him. He's going to have to be the king of drop coverage. And he does a good job already already communicating. He calls out the plays, calls out the sets. I just don't really know who he guards. But I like his offensive versatility to use in multiple sets, but I'm just a little hesitant because he also wants the ball in his hand so much that you don't know in like a limited role window what that looks like in spot minutes. Well, the thing that he does really well is like for a guy who is almost seven foot tall, he plays with like pretty real flexibility and bend. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Like he's not this stiff ball handler. Like he actually, like he can get to the rim, like with a Euro step and like, he'll drive and like really bend and 
actually like really extend uh using those long strides to get past like he is a weird weird player he is gonna have to be a shooter like he's at 32 percent from three this year and a lot of those are tough shots like let's be very clear like a lot of those are really tough shots uh he's gonna have to be like a 38 to 40 percent three-point shooter i think to make it but last year when he got those open shots, he made them at like a 42% clip. Like when he was surrounded by Miles Powell and, uh, Quincy McKnight and guys that opposing teams really respected defensively. This year he's at the top of scouting reports and is getting contested a lot more. Uh, I kind of think he is a real shot. I- I'm, I'm surprised that I've turned this quickly on him. Uh, but I have like the game against Louisville, I thought was really impressive. He had 22 and 10 uh, really was an, a creative offensive hub for them. He was really impressive against Rhode Island. He dropped 25 on them. Like you said, he dropped 30 against Penn state, 32 against St. John's 24 against Butler. And, and that Butler game was very efficient as well. And I think he had uh, five or six assists in that game as well. Uh, I think he had, he's a couple other like six and seven assist games. Like he's, He's a very, uh, skilled, skilled player who doesn't really play out of the post. Like he, he plays in a way that is very translatable to the next level. Yeah. And when he does play out of the post, he does, like you said, he has good bend. He has good footwork on step throughs, but kind of like pump fake. It's not just like he's barreling over two dribbles to the left and spinning back right. Like he has more stuff in his bag too. Yeah. No, he's, he's an impressive dude. Uh, the next guy I want to go to is Davion Mitchell. I've been very, very uh, impressed with Mitchell this year. Uh, another guy that I've been a little bit skeptical on in the past, and maybe I'm like overcorrecting a little bit, but Mitchell has always been known as like this crazy defensive first guard who can do a lot of different stuff on that end and really takes on tough assignments and is one of the best point of attack defenders in college basketball. That's all absolutely accurate. Uh, the thing this year that's different is that he's hitting shots. He's taking four threes a game. He's hitting them at 45%. I don't think he's that shooter. As long though as he's like a 37% three-point shooter, he's a good enough ball handler and defender to where I think he probably sticks as a backup guard. What do you think? Yeah, he could. Uh, it's, it's funny because I think we were texting about this a week ago and he was shooting 50% from three and the, the Penny Vicini jinx, he's gone like one for 10 cents. But, uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've become a fan just because I've watched that Baylor team so much or more than most, I guess. I mean, I think he's also fairly underrated playmaker and creator. I like his, yep. his frame. I like his approach defensively. He does also benefit playing alongside. Jared Butler and the way they have a lot of like movements and reads within the Baylor offense. So it's not like and Macy Oteague for what it's worth too. Yes. We'll throw Mr. Teague in there as well. But my, it, it's a greater point of like, he's not the focal point of scouting port reports either. It's like pick your poison between those guards of, of who you really want to zone in on. He does tend to settle a little bit for step backs, especially a lot of like ISO situations and yeah doesn't always get all the way to the rim, especially when it's a bigger or stronger defender and being six foot two, you're going to see a lot of those type of guys in the NBA. And then personally, it drives me crazy how often he finishes with his right hand on like the left side of the hoop and leans in, but you nailed it. <laughs> Great defender, uh, especially on the ball. He's a pest to making guys turn their body and pick up their dribble. 
I think he's also 22 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So he's probably maxed out from a potential standpoint of like what he could do in college. So I, he right. should probably declare as well as one of those guys that you've kind of alluded to earlier. Well, and here's the thing about Mitchell too. Like, you know how with some, some guys you can just like tell that like the college coaches just like love him. Right. Sure. Uh, and like, we'll go to bat for him. Like I've had a couple guys on the Baylor staff, just like pinging me about him for a couple years now. Like not, not just like, Oh, you know, like keep an eye on him. Like really like going to bat for him. You know what I mean? And that, that's not to say that they don't go to bat for other guys. They do. Uh, they, they certainly do. But like Davion, like they've been like, Hey, like we, we really think like he's a guy and they, they do the same with, uh, Jared as well. Like the, yeah, they we'll, think Jared. We'll transition that to a second. Yeah. Really good. Um, but like Jared, we've known Jared is good for a while and has been on the NBA radar, uh, at least for all of last year. But like Mitchell's been under the radar and they, they keep pinging me and you can often tell like how much a coaching staff likes and loves a guy based off of how often and how long and how much they're winging willing to like go to bat for him to you as an evaluator, right? Like I'm sure you get that on your end as well. Uh And it kind of goes the opposite way too. Sometimes where like, you know, if you hear from college coaches that you're friends with and uh you know, you, you don't necessarily hear as much about that guy. It's like, oh, okay, that's, it's not yeah, as There's also a, a level of BS, as you know, that we have to wade through too, that you, you oh, hear some guy, then you watch him, you're like, oh, okay, like this is not what, this is not what I was sold. But yeah, I, having your guys go to bat for you and he's popped up a lot of place in the second round. Like I'm, I'm not against him. He is like a, a second round guy. I, I'm not, I mean, where do you have him right now? You don't have him as a first rounder, right? No, I don't. I have him like mid second round at the moment, but yeah, like I think that it just kind of, it, it says a lot to me that like I've had a couple guys on Baylor staff for two years now being like, look, like pay attention to this guy. Like he's, he's real. Like we're not, uh, we're not bullshitting you. Like he is, he's real. He's a good player. And now he's, you know, 12 and six with elite level defense and shooting 45% from three and 54% from the field. But by the way, like Baylor's backcourt right now, Macy Oteague is shooting 41% from three, Jared Butler, 42% from three, Mitchell, 45% from three, Adam Flagler, 45% from three. All of those guys are taking at least four attempts per game. Matthew Myers, like six foot nine and like sort of kind of plays the four for them, but he's essentially a perimeter player. Uh, he's shooting 48% from three. LJ Cryer is shooting 45% from three. <laughs> what, what in the fuck is this sorcerer? Like <laughs> it's, soft, it's the soft rims, the Waco soft rims. They've also like, I don't want to be like the, but actually guy, but actually they've had a little bit of a lighter schedule to start. They've had some games canceled and moved their next four games to me will be very telling. They play TCU, yeah. West Virginia, Texas tech and Kansas. I don't think those numbers are going to be as high playing against those type of athletes. And now guys are really going to zone in on, on those three guards and, and making them probably put the ball on the floor a little bit more as opposed to getting open looks. You know what though? But, I'll uh, tell you this. They kicked the shit out of Illinois and we both think Illinois is good. Yeah. Early. I mean, what was that? Like the second, second or third game of the year, too. Yeah, I was. It was, I think, their third game of the year. But, but to 
just stay on Baylor. I mean, I think that's a pretty good lead into Jared Butler too, who I think you have as like a late first, early second guy. Yeah. I have Jared Fif- Butler ahead of Davion Mitchell right now. Yeah. Okay. So 15.2 points per game, five and a half assists, three rebounds, still two and a half turnovers, 49% from the field, 44% from three. He strangely only took one free throw through the first three games of the year. And then maybe the guy that was pinging you on Baylor staff also pinged him and said, start driving the ball. And he's gotten to line about four times a game now, which helps because now you have to respect him actually driving. But very smart, uses shot fakes. He'll step in for floaters. Just a very smooth game, controlled on his drives. I like when he comes off pick and roll. He really keeps his his vision open he'll like look opposite to kind of whip that pass to the corner for shooters and helps when you have three guys shooting over 44 percent but just calm and collected the way he plays solid all-around game i would just kind of like argue and say it's like not always spectacular and not always like the wow factor and that like holds him back a little bit i will say like i think he's kind of a wild ball handler like it's not the most like shifty like explosive in and out of shit right but like in terms of like his technical ball handling ability and the way he keeps the ball on the string he's fucking ridiculous <laughs> like, with, with change of pace too i, I feel like you know, yeah. every time someone says change of pace like it's Doncic light no he just uses change of pace he's not luka Doncic, but like he does know how to freeze his guy then yeah. go from there yeah yeah and like once he freezes him it's fucking over. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> like it's, he's, he's gone like every single time. We just uh, gotta see if he's still gone when Derek Culver is, is roaming the paint next week. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see that. He's not, he's really interesting. Uh, guy that's like six foot three. Most of the NBA evaluators I've talked to think like backup scoring guard, really effective offensive player. Uh, they really like the strides he's continued to make as a distributor. So like you can maybe see a world where he can play some lead guard for right. them. Uh, so yeah, no, I think like late first, early second grade is where we're at on Jared Butler for sure. I have a good one for you while, while we're here. I was thinking about this. Okay. So we just talked, we talked about Mitchell. We talked about Butler. They're as good a tandem as maybe in college basketball. If you had an NBA Jam team of college guys, who would be your team? And and I, I think the easy one is to say Gonzaga of Suggs, Kispert, Timmy. But I didn't know if, if yeah. the Baylor Bears would be your pick. No, Suggs, Kispert, Timmy is the pick. Um, I think Matt Coleman, I was going to say Kai Texas Jones are pretty good too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a great one. Uh, let's see here. Who's a good one? Who else is a really good one? I think that Io, uh, I don't know who I would take from Illinois, actually. Like Io, you probably take Coburn and then. Just a big rim protector. So like, here's the thing. Like, Demonte Williams would be really good in three oh, on man, three. We're talking NBA jam. We're talking like the two or three best players on the team. I'm like, oh yeah, let's go Josh Christopher and Bagley and you're digging deep. You're doing your Sam stuff. No, yeah, nobody's got to beat Gary Payton and, and Sean Kemp anyway, but I'm just saying hypothetically. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You, you have like a couple years on me. You hit the NBA jam like at its peak, I imagine, right? Uh, I was in 
first grade, maybe. I remember it was such a big deal when someone came to school and had the code for Bill Clinton, <laughs> ARK, start holiday for Sega. And it was like, don't tell anybody. We can't let the codes get out. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Tennessee Again, would losing, be a fun losing one. listeners by the second. Like, why are they talking about NBA Jam? I'm here to learn about upperclassmen. Oh, I don't think so. I think that this is what people want. Um, Keon Johnson and Eve Pons and which uh, Jaden Springer would be a fun one. Uh, yeah, I'd I even think. argue VJ Bailey too. Big athlete. It's a good team. Yeah, VJ Bailey and uh, Josiah Jordan James would be a really good player <laughs> in NBA. So they have Jam a whole too. roster. We're talking NBA Live '95 now, but yeah. Yeah, like they they have the NBA Jam like roster, and I love it. I love it so much. Um, I'm trying to think like there have to there has to be like a like Amir Sims would be a really good NBA Jam player. I think. <laughs> I also I thought maybe Ron Harper Jr. and Jacob Young, maybe Cliff Amarui or Miles Johnson too. I think that's a really really good one. Um, like Book Knight and Isaiah Whaley would be pretty interesting. Yeah, I Paulie think. was good the other day. Yeah. Yeah, and you throw Tyrese Martin in there, Jalen Gaffney, and like there, there are there are just a lot of guys on that team that could do it. Exactly, you're naming full rosters again. We need two. Yeah, but like there are a lot of guys that I think kind of work within it, like Scotty Barnes, MJ Walker, and I think maybe Raekwon Gray would be the third for them, right? Yeah, Balsa. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we want Balsa, right? Like, no, no. Meanwhile, Villanova fans are so angry right now that we haven't brought we up have like Justin Clemson. Moore. We have Justin Moore and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. These guys are idiots. Yeah, stay tuned. Our NBA Jam podcast is following this. Yeah, our, our NBA Jam uh, <laughs> podcast about the efficacy of jump stops and how valuable they are is coming for Villanova. Don't don't worry. Um, okay, uh, I want to talk about Chris Duarte. I love it. Yep. I think he's really good. <laughs> like, I think he is a sneaky late first round pick potentially. Ooh, okay. Hot take machine. I like it. He is, by the way, he turns 24 before the draft. So like. Ooh, okay. <laughs> it's time. Very to old. Yeah. Yeah. Chuko All-American, Chuko Player of the Year. Like you said, some guys might come back for fifth year. Like, I don't think Chris is coming back for his 25th birthday. I don't think he's coming back for year 25, but. 44% from three, 90% from the line so far. Really good defender who uses his length in passing lanes. Kind of a sneaky shot blocker as well. Uh, really effective as a driver, uses his extension really well at six foot six. Can kind of handle a little bit on the ball, but is better off the ball. I think he's really good. I think he is really, really, really good. Just like straight up as a basketball player. Uh, everything that he does on the court, is effective, efficient, and it translates to winning. I like his size too. It's six foot six on the perimeter. He's had five games with three or more three pointers. He's kind of stepped into that alpha role now that Peyton Pritchard is on the Celtics and the best player in the league. Yep. He plays angles really well. He doesn't have like a, a super first step, I'd say, but he kind of knows how to get to his spots. Yeah. He can catch and shoot off of different looks. Uh, if it's a skip opposite, it's a flare, it's a kickback. He can shoot in the move a little bit, driving right or left. He shows decent pace and patience when he does come off pick and roll, even though I don't really think that's his forte, so to say, but has this nice high release. It's tough to block. Smart player, like you said, just an, an overall pretty high basketball IQ. The game I, one of the games I watched, I think it was Stanford. He scored off a back door. He was kind of overplayed in the second yeah. half. 
he thrives and if you read up on him he likes getting out in transition and, and making plays and creative and was all pac 12 defensive honorable mention a year ago on a and now he's on a good team it's eight and one uh, I, I refuse free. to act like those Pac-12 oh, all God. defense yeah, awards no, matter. No, Onyeka, we're back. I almost didn't say it because I knew you'd be like Onyeka Kongwu is not there. Uh, he didn't even get a vote. God, I can't get you on. It's like I didn't even get now. a vote. It's, it's, it's Onyeka. It's refs. Um, it's I don't know. But anyway, how do you watch Onyeka Kongwu uh, defend last year and <laughs> not give him a vote for uh, all defense? You gave him a vote. We gave him a vote. This podcast gave him a vote. 23 and 6 against Stanford in a 17 point win. He's riding a hot hand. He's 13 of his last 27 from three in his last three games. I've been told not to use three game sample sizes, but we are here. So I, I like him too. Uh, he's, I'm surprised he's not getting a little bit more chatter in the second round. I don't know. It's the first round. The age thing is definitely going to scare some people yeah, away. Is. Yeah. But, uh, we like him. Yeah. We've talked about Ron Harper Jr. and Kessler Edwards a little bit uh, on previous podcasts. I don't know that we need to do it again. Uh, Marcus Carr has stood out quite a bit this year. I didn't mention Marcus Carr uh, when we talked pre-show about what we were actually going to talk about. I'm assuming you've seen Marcus Carr enough to talk, though. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually really good. Uh, really creative as a ball handler. A great passer very uh very good vision while also being able to limit turnovers in a real way can obviously shoot off the bounce a little bit uh 38 from three 80 from the line and that's despite taking tough shots from three i think he is a second round pick but i do think he is a second round pick like i, I would feel reasonably good about taking him as a potential backup point guard right now yeah, he's been too too productive to to not. And, and we talked a little bit last podcast about how uh, transfer pit like they've kind of built their roster, which I think a lot of teams will replicate on on good transfers. And he has continued to yeah. to answer the bell. I mean, thirty two against St. Louis, he had thirty against Iowa when people weren't really like tuning in to see the Marcus Carr show necessarily. Uh, 35 against Green Bay. He's shown time and time again that he wants the ball in the big shot. I wish he'd be a little bit more effective and maybe he's more of like the, the scoring secondary guard as opposed to the league guard, especially NBA, because it's just the efficiency isn't always there. And like, I think he's going to look for his before he looks to get anybody else really going. No, I definitely think that's right. By the way, what in the world is going on with Gabe Kalsher? Uh, like, elite level shooter in high school 41 from three is a freshman dropped a little bit last year down to 34 but like he can't hit anything right now and i don't know what is happening there because every time he shoots it looks like it's going to go in but every time he shoots i feel like it's not going to go in now which is weird for like <laughs> Wait, such so a what is it? is it when he releases does it look good or not good Oh, it looks incredible, but it just is impossible to have any confidence in it going in right now. Are we going to give him the benefit of the doubt of like the, the short sample size thus far and just needs a few more games to get going? Or have we like completely turned that corner for everyone and like you are who you are now? <sighs> He's shooting 90 from the line this year. So like you would think that it'll turn. <laughs> 
it's we it's weird but like he he has been yeah, an elite just, shooter like for a long time he, yeah i mean he had, he's had a long line of kind of stinkers but three for ten against wisconsin three for six against ohio state one for five against michigan and like michigan i don't know if you want to talk about your guy here i mean they just kind of like dismantled him yeah i mean look like hunter dickinson i I just kind of want to talk about Hunter Dickinson. He's a freshman and doesn't fit the criteria of what we're supposed to talk about. So I was going to bring him up at the end of this and like kind of make it a separate topic. But like, you know what? Like you transitioned into it. It's fine. Like, let's just talk about him now. Uh, he's really good. He is seven foot one, 255 pounds. He is enormous. He finishes exceptionally well around the basket. I mean, there are NBA teams that think Liam Robbins is a very real prospect. And Hunter Dickinson just fucking dismantled him last night. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I it was I had a uh I I had a tweet ready to go, like the Spider Man gif of them like pointing at each other for Liam Robbins versus Hunter Dickinson, and then Hunter just like you know killed them. Uh yeah. limited twenty eight and eight. I know. He killed him. <laughs> he, I still think he's limited a little bit from NBA sense athletically, yeah. but he uses body well. He will box out, spins and seals well for position. In the post, he'll get to his move quickly. He's like patient without rushing or wasting time. It's a catch. It's a move. Maybe it's a counter and that's it. It's not like too, too fancy. Does have such a soft touch around the rim. He passes well out of the high post and especially versus zone. They use him a lot there. It's kind of like this yep. point center type position. He's not bad as a help side shot blocker, but man, like I, I didn't watch the game last night. I, I told you before this, I had it queued up that I saw the score. I said, I'm going to watch something else this morning. I just don't know who he guards defense. I mean, when they went pick and roll in the games that I watched, they just yeah. roasted him. Like he went drop coverage and. They picked and popped. They, he tried to run a guy off the line, hit a three. Next time they rolled, they beat him. The next time the guy, the, the lead ball handler took it, scored. He just doesn't, he, yeah. he can play stiff at times and doesn't always like bend his knees, but it's hard to look past the performance he had against Maryland, which he kind of took as like a, a personal game or whatever. Cause I, I don't know. He's from the area. He thought they didn't recruit him hard enough or something. He scored and flexed after like every basket. And I was like, this, this guy's a dude. Yeah, like, he gives a fuck, and it's great. He is a dude that you want to have around, I think. Uh, The defense is tough because he has good enough footwork offensively to where he's one of those guys where, like, you would think that the defensive stuff can improve just, like, as he gets better positioning. Because right now, like, he often gets, like, kind of stuck in no man's man positionally, right? Because he's still trying to figure out, like, his gap defense a lot. Uh, And that's why teams can kind of adjust off of what he's showcasing and then, like either hit him with a roll to the basket or hit him with a pop or like the guard can turn the corner on him super easily. He's a bad defender right now. Like we can just kind of call it what it is. He's not a good defender. Um, I like, I want to like look at him and be like, this is kind of like a Brooke Lopez-y kind of guy just because I also like he's hitting 74% from the line. Have you seen him take the threes he's taken this year? He took one against Penn State particularly that like stands out in my mind. I don't remember that three. I've seen him take threes before because I remember high school, but not not this season now. Like it doesn't look like a disaster. No, it's not a disaster. Three. His form's not bad. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some potential maybe there to where I'm like, maybe, maybe he can be a stretch guy. And if he's a stretch guy, who's also just like hyper elite at ceiling and scoring inside and is already a good enough passer. Like maybe there's some upside there offensively. Like, let me, let me ask you this in a vacuum then him or Sandro. Probably Sandro. I'm realizing that I have Dickinson higher on my mock draft, but I would take Sandro over him. That wasn't um, a trap. I haven't seen your mock draft either. But just no, I kinda, know. Yeah. You know, we're talking posts. We're talking bigs. We're talking the new point centers, the real big guards. I guess. Well, like the interesting one is him or Garza, right? Sandro and or Garza a, or Dickinson or Garza. I guess I mean, it's all three. All three of them, really. I guess right. So I mean, what's, what's your rankings? One, two, three. I think I would put NBA. We're talking NBA. We're not talking college, so don't jump down yeah, our, I know. our throats if we say. Yeah. I think I would say Sandro Garza Dickinson right yeah, now. Yeah. And the reason for that is that Luca can shoot. Like the fact right. that Garza can shoot is kind of an enormous thing. I do think Dickinson is just like less ground bound than Luca is, which is pretty big, but I mean, look, Garza has hit what is it? Uh probably like 40% of his last 153 point attempts. So mm-hmm. it's it's tough to pass that up uh at a certain point, I think. Yeah, I kind of want one of these not Wiseman because he's he's so different athletically, but like one of these centers or bigs that was drafted to kind of be good or not be good and then I think the league will kind of like follow a trend with these type of guys, but there is just a level of hesitancy because of the way the game shifted. If you can't defend pick and roll, it's just, it's hard to stay on the floor. Those guys are minute eaters during the year. And then when it gets crunch time, gets to the playoffs, like it's hard to keep those guys on the floor to close. And I don't want to jump too far, too far ahead. We're like, is he a second round pick slash can he close in a playoff game? But those are the type of conversations I'm sure some NBA teams have. Would you rather have Hunter Dickinson or Vernon Carey? Hunter Dickinson, I think. I don't know. That's tough. I, I haven't seen Vernon Carey play. Like, has he has he gotten any minutes yet? I started playing the preseason. I haven't watched a ton of NBA. Yeah, I, I, if he has played minutes, I haven't seen them. I will say, um, I, I don't know necessarily if he's played. I, I can look real quick, but uh, I, I think I, I would go Dickinson. Dickinson as well. He's played four minutes this year. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I saw so that, he's that, not in the one, rotation. that one game where Lomelo was throwing full court passes, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Um, I Look, I also had Vernon Carey like 55th, 60th, something like that on my board. So, like, I was much lower on Vernon Carey than the consensus opinion seemed to be from the NBA, at least. Yeah. Uh, I think I would take Dickinson over Carey, at least. Uh, yeah, Hunter Dickin, Hunter Dickinson or Nick Richards. I think I'm still going Hunter Dickinson. I think I would take Hunter Dickinson as well. So like this we're taking him over guys. You're, 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 yeah, you're just rattling off guys being like, you want me to blink? You want me to flinch first? Well, no, like I, I would. But I'd also say I, Vernon Carey and, and Nick Richards probably went higher than we both projected to. Yeah, like we, we didn't think they were great prospects either. Right. Um, Hunter Dickinson or the, the God, the God Freddie Gillespie. No, I'm kidding. Um, I I definitely, 
Yeah. Or Pey- yeah, Hunter Dickinson or Peyton Pritchard. I think the uh, uh Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, Pritchard. Had a game winner. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about the Peyton Pritchard? Uh, is there no, any other? No, no, I'm just going to allude to it forever, but we're not talking about it. What other really upperclassmen do you want to talk about? I think we have three more on our list. I think I say three minutes. Uh, I want to talk about David Duke. Can we do some David Duke? Yeah. God. David Duke, Providence. I feel like he hasn't got a lot of national love. It, it's like coming up a little bit now. He's kind of like the 50s, 60s, some places in the 40s. Averaging 19 points per game. Uh, six and a half rebounds, I believe. 4.3 assists. Two and a half turnovers. Shooting 44% from the field. 41% from three. He's up from 12 points per game from last year. He's started every game at Providence in three years. He's kind of from my area here. He played for the Mass Rivals grassroots program, and their director, Vin Pastore, likes to tell the story that he found David Duke and told Ed Cooley to offer him as he lives walking distance from the campus, and it's kind of like this dream fulfilled. Big-time worker, sometimes three to four times a day. They have to tell him to slow down. Providence runs like a lot of flexy type offense stuff, so you don't always get to see this, the whole package. But he knows how to use cross screens for baskets. He'll use that for a fade, for a flare. His shot's a little bit of a moon ball. It can lean back, take some time to to get off. Can take some it's wild very ones. mechanical. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's high. It's like this is a machine. But he he's super athletic. They run lob plays for him. His handle's a little bit loose. I just think he deserves a little bit of uh, a little bit of love, a little bit of national attention because he's not getting a, a ton of stuff out there. So I do have him in the mock draft that's coming out tomorrow on the Athletic. I I can't quite get there with him. Uh, the tape is a little bit less impressive than the numbers to me. Uh, that's actually in, a great point. Yeah, y- yeah, in large part because of the shot. If the shot doesn't work, like I know he's shooting 41 from three this year. I know he shot 42% from la- three last year. I think there is real touch there, but the shot is just so mechanical and takes so long to get off that I really struggle with it uh, to see how it's going to translate to the next level. Uh, not like a hyper elite passer in terms of his ability to like see creative reads right and then like you said the handle is loose so he's basically getting by by being like six foot five and quicker than just everyone else while also like understanding college basketball and being willing to uh absorb contact in a way that he struggled with a little bit earlier in his career Uh, yeah like i don't hate I i don't dislike him but i don't like there. It's almost like Kadeen. Do you remember Kadeen Carrington? Wow, throwback. Seton yeah. Hall. I just yeah. haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of him. And Kadeen's like a great player over in Europe. Um, Like really, really effective player in Europe. And to the point where like I think he might get NBA looks at some point coming back. Uh, I think he's still only like 25 or 26. So I think that Duke does have a real shot at the NBA, but I think I, like I don't have him as a first round guy right now. Do you? No, no, I don't. But deserves some mention. I, I he just somehow has like gotten lost in the shovel. He's had like a really big year. He's averaging almost twenty points per game, and Providence is pretty right. Good. Yeah, no question. Like he has gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit in a weird way. I feel that way about Amir Sims a little bit too, despite the fact that Clemson is nine and one, and yep. uh, 
is three and one in the ACC. Like it's not even like they haven't played anyone. They've played and beaten Maryland. They've played and beaten Alabama. They've beaten Purdue. They've beaten Mississippi State. Like they've really only played two bad teams. Like they played South Carolina State and Moorhead State. The rest of the teams have all been top 70 teams this year that they've played. Yeah. It's actually like good for them. Good for Brad Brunell going out and like scheduling. But Amir Sims this year, 65 true shooting percentage, 21 assist rate, uh, block and steal rates at 3%, like pretty good offensive rebounder, six foot eight, 240 pounds, versatile defender. Like there's just a lot there that is very impressive from a skill perspective. He's just a little small, I'd say for a five. And yeah. the, num- the numbers just don't pop off the screen, like 12.6 points per game, 5.8 rebounds. So that hurts him. He's, it's weird because like he'll have these plays where he shows really good athleticism off like rolling to the rim. And when he has a step or two, like he can really fly off the floor. But then like he can also be like a land mammal at times too, where he needs time to gather. Yep. Like it- it's strange, but very strong. I mean, they played Miami and. Earl Timberlake's an older freshman for Miami, but he's very strong and he kind of had his way with him, like just went through him. I see some possessions where his feet are a little bit slower laterally and he'd yeah, be like a second slow to react, but yep. he knows what he is. He uses base to, to seal and to box out. And it's not like the prettiest game, but it's effective. So I, I get like a little bit of people not necessarily being as high on him because he doesn't fit this tailor-made role in the NBA where you think he's going to slide in and, and play right away. It's kind of like this mixed bag of stuff that can be put together. Well, the the interesting thing is like that in theory, his tailor-made role is playing like as a small ball five is like a backup, like change of pace guy. Right. Exactly. To do that though, he needs to be able to guard on the perimeter and I don't know that I totally buy him guarding on the perimeter yet. Uh, like you said, like the feet are a little bit slower than what you're hoping for. Uh, at his size. Yeah. For a guy that is like that. Right. So I really want to buy into Amir Sims like a lot. I really liked him last year as well. Like I had him as a top 80 prospect uh, before he decided to go back to Clemson. Like I thought he was an excellent two-way guy. I think that's still where I am. I still think he's basically an excellent two-way guy. That Like here's the other thing too. Like he's 240 to 250 pounds. Like is there a world where he could maybe like thin out and add some quickness Do we think? Mate, uh, you, it's hard to fix the feet. That's the problem. Like he yeah. could, but I just don't know how much quicker you get laterally. I thought you were going to go the other way. Like, what if he gets bigger but hits threes? Like, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily going to do it. But he's a good player. I mean, he's going to be probably first team all conference. I don't know if he's preseason player of the year, but he's he's obviously very well regarded. And he won him a game. I think he hit like uh, he hit the shot against Miami with like five seconds left to put him ahead. Yeah, and I, I actually think he can. I think he can just like straight up shoot. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I think that I'm not real worried about him, like going to a corner and knocking down a shot from three. Right. Um, and like picking and popping and knocking down a shot from three. Uh, I, I am more worried about the defense. Like, I, I'm just not totally sure how that'll work. Uh, and, and then this will transition to the other guy in Charles Bassey, where perfect. Yep. Bassey has gotten a lot of love early in the season and boy, do I not really get it. <laughs> okay. Tell me more. 
So he's averaging 16 and 11. He's a very effective college player, right? Uh, very, very, very effective college player. And he's blocking three shots a game. So like he's a good defensive player in Conference USA. <laughs> he has no chance away from the basket. Teams that take him away from the basket just absolutely demolish them. Um, I, I do not know how he is being regarded as a potential first round pick by anyone. I, I don't get it. I mean, he's two for 14 from three. So you, you, you hit on that. He's 60% for the field. He did have 27 and 12 against Alabama. He is coming off a, a left knee injury he had last season. So I don't know if you also want to say he's shaking off the rust a little bit. I think we're past that. But big, big body, strong frame, strong base. He wants to take short jumpers when he faces up too. I feel like he's trying to like prove that, that he can do that. Not the best like interior passer. Uh, can drift a little bit away from the play, but he'll run the floor hard when he thinks a bucket or a touch is coming too. Yeah. But it's mostly right hand, uh, no real left per se. He bobbles a lot of stuff around the rim and, and on the yep. glass. He, he does do a good job of sealing and holding his man off and holding his position. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I don't know where I am with this because I was like against it that you kind of like look at the ball on on fives and front court players than than most just because i think those guys are semi-interchangeable i i'm not there on a first round pick either i mean i've seen him some places like 26 28 30 like i think he's probably further down than that i probably would not have him in my top 60 i don't think oh um okay again like hunter dickinson for sure over him i think like, I don't even think it's a question. Luca Garza for him or over him for sure, right? Yeah, he had 60 picks, though. <laughs> you know, it's not 30, so it's, he's got 30 chances in the second round. He does have 30 chances in the second round, and look, like, someone might take him, but... And he's look, a very good call. We saw some crazy five men. We saw some crazy five men get drafted that we didn't think were going to yeah. happen, so... And he is a very good college player. Like, he is a yeah, very effective good. college player. Um, 61% from the field establishes position against anyone that he wants to on the interior. Um, does have that good, like right-handed hook shot. Uh, you know, a very good interior defender because he is so long at that level. I, I don't think he can defend on the perimeter at all. I don't buy the jump shot anytime he steps out to shoot. I don't think he can pass. I don't think he has left hand. Like there, there are too many things there that just don't work at the NBA level. Right. No, but I will give him credit in that he was such a highly ranked younger guy, younger big. And despite us kind of saying like, yeah, no, he's not a a first round pick or whatever. Like he has, uh, this might not sound right, but he has developed his game a little bit and he's a different ish player than he was. I mean, he still tries to like overpower guys, but like his game has rounded out a little bit more than I may have anticipated seeing him at whatever, when he was playing 16 you or when he's 16 years old or what have you. He has definitely grown. The last guy I want to talk about like somewhat extensively is Luca Garza. Do we think that, I mean, like the offensive skill is so readily apparent and clear. Uh, is there any chance that he can defend? Because so far this year, Iowa has not really had a chance at defending. What do you mean by chance at defending? 
can he play even as a drop coverage big who doesn't get the turn the corner turned on him regularly and doesn't I, get picked and popped maybe. to death maybe and all the the stories legends about him is his work ethic and how hard he yeah. wants to be that player and be in the nba and, and make a difference i'm yeah. not writing it off yet but yeah like i haven't seen enough to be like i think that's gonna work yeah and this is the kind of guy that like i typically like to bet on uh, because he is clearly continually on an upward trajectory continues to work his ass off to get better continues to like just be a fighter and like a guy that has real nba strength like i i I want to like a lot of what he does i i just wish that i thought he had any chance to defend a little more pop defensively yeah yeah well like he doesn't even get off the floor really that's the pop yeah (laughs) another on either end yeah problem yeah like i i I just but but score is great like bassy and that great college player i i don't he'll be i've talked to a couple people too that i I don't think first round pick at all but i've heard people in the 40s 50s i mean where do you have him on your board i have him somewhere in the 40s or 50s for sure okay yeah i think that a big thing for him is is he willing to go be a stash? Because I believe he has a Bosnian passport. Uh, okay. There are teams overseas that would, that will pay like very, 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 very real money. Uh, like a lot of money for him because he has that, uh, European passport. Oh, in the style of play too. I mean, it's probably in the style of play. It's probably is both. Yeah. And he'll make a, a ton of money doing that. It's interesting too because. As we learn and find out, like the second round, a lot of times is dictated kind of by that. Like it's, it's almost, I don't want to say an auction, but sometimes general managers or teams will call, say, Hey, we're going to draft you, but we want right. you to do XYZ. You're stashed. Uh, we want you to sign a one year deal that's crappy up front and there's team option and they may decline and say no. So maybe he gets in a situation where either he wants the right fit or he's looking for the right years. He becomes a free agent. So there's a couple different outcomes that can come of this too. Yeah, no question. Um, I think it would help him if he's willing to stash. I will say that. Uh, it, it would help his Iowa standing. And be the face of college basketball one more year. <laughs> oh, my God. Him uh, and Corey Kispert. They're back. Him and Corey Kispert. I love it. Um, okay. Is there any other high level? Like, we didn't talk about Marcus Garrett. Like, Marcus Garrett has not been great for Kansas this year. Right. Um, trying to think who else who else oh we should mention nate lazuski at notre dame has oh never let's missed- go northfield mount herman that's where i coached mm-hmm. he has never missed a shot it feels like <laughs> uh, not against no uh not against north carolina and who is the next game was it virginia he had like back-to-back like 27 point games yeah have you looked at lazuski's stats yet this year uh i've watched him play like probably three or four times i don't know if i've looked at his stats what do you think he's shooting from three? 59%. That's exactly right. It's oh, 59%. Yeah. No, he <laughs> just had, he had the game against North Carolina where it's like every time the ball found him, somehow he was wide open and he didn't miss. And Nate's just a kid who, when you hit the first one, forget about it. Like just a, a confidence guy where he needs to hit one or two, get his legs under him, and then it's just like he's firing. <laughs> 
he did it in the uh, New England Championships many moons ago, and Northfield Mount Hermon won. I think that was their first New England Championship. He was just like unconscious, and that was the first time I was like, "Oh man, he like he might have a chance." He needs to get a little bit stronger in the defense thing too, but to be six nine ish, I don't know what they list him as, and, and six shoot ten. it six yeah. ten. The way he shoots it, like it's gonna get a look. Seventy nine one true shooting percentage. Yeah, <laughs> and fifty nine from three. Yeah, happy for him. He's he's worked at it, and the way Notre Dame plays, it's it's really um, say showcase spotlighted his best qualities and best traits. Sometimes guys go to the school and it just doesn't work, but I think it, it has really worked out for Nate. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't think he's quite an NBA player, but like, I mean, if he shoots 59% from three, he's probably an NBA player. Right? All we complain like, about is that nobody can shoot. And here's a guy with 6'10 and can shoot. Just saying. Yeah. Um, anyone else on your list that you want to mention? Uh, do you want to talk Wee's camp at all or no? My region. Uh, no, I have him in my mock. Like he's a really great shooter. He has real size for the position at six foot eight. Uh, maybe no, six foot seven. Sorry. Uh, that's probably, I, I get probably gave him an extra inch there. Um, really improved this year as a driver for sure. Do you have anything yes. else to add to that? No, I think he's a sneaky, like this is weird, but a very good cutter too. And he plays well away from the yeah. ball. Like you, you can't really sleep on him. He, he knows how to play the, you worry a little bit about the athleticism a little bit about ball protection and strength, but there's definitely value in a shooting. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. Uh, is there, I don't think there's yeah, that was my last guy. Yeah. You wiped my slate clean else that I need to like, that I feel like the necessity to dive into. Like there are certainly other great upperclassmen this year. Um, but I think that's, that's where I'm going to call it at least. Uh, do you have any other strong takes? You have to get off your chest. Did you watch any great movies this week, Matt Penny? No, no, you always like jump me on like movies and extra time. Like I just try to like squeak out like a game and a half before I go to bed after my son goes to bed at like seven thirty. That that's really as uh as crazy as it gets. I don't think no, my my wife's rifling through Letter Kenny. That's that's really about it. I gotta tell you, I rewatched the first two Born movies last night. Where do you find the time? Is this like in between the wine stops? You're like watching a scene or two on your <laughs> on your tablet. Well, here's what I did yesterday. I woke up. I went for a run at 630, came back, watched a basketball game. My wife and I went on a coffee walk through the CBD of Melbourne, went to the bank to try and figure out some financial things for me and my wife who are in the process of uh, trying to no longer live with my wife's parents who are terrific human beings. I love them dearly. Um, and we'd be very happy to stay here for a long time, but obviously we want our own place. Um, came back, watched another game and then watched the two born movies. Wow. Back to back. It's pretty good. Yeah. And then like found some time to eat in the middle of that. Uh, yeah, I watched the Celtics and then the world burned to the ground. So yeah. Happy so, like, times I, ahead. Yeah. Like, <laughs> look, like yesterday was a slow day. I, yeah, I, yeah. I watched two games and like, look, part of it obviously was like the whole, uh, Hey, there was an attempted insurrection in the United States yeah, yesterday. Yeah. I don't that, think that filled that, my schedule. Yeah. From three. o'clock. Yeah. On. Like I was constantly looking at the internet while doing these things, but yeah, like 
you you can sneak in games if you need to while watching movies. Uh, no, like, we, it's just, so fun. we just sneak in trash TV. Not trash TV, but like below deck and that type of stuff. Have you uh, have you watched Ted Lasso yet? No, I've heard nothing but good things about Ted Lasso and Your Honor. Those are the two uh, on the list next. For the love of God, watch Ted Lasso. It's okay. And have you watched the two things that I enjoyed Shout most? Out Ted Lasso. In, yeah. yeah, the two things I enjoyed most in 2020 uh, on TV probably were Ted Lasso and Shit's Creek. Have you watched Shit's Creek yet? Uh, bits and pieces. I haven't dived, dove all the way in. I watched a teacher on uh, on Hulu via FX. That was I've heard that that's that like super fucked up. It's a roller coaster. Don't know <laughs> who I was rooting for. Don't know how I was supposed to react, but it was uh, it was an experience. Oh my god! Heavy, um, heavy stuff. Yeah, it does not. I don't know that that interests me right now. Maybe at some point I'll dive in. Uh, I got to tell you though, the Bourne movies. If you're looking for like just something to kill time, and you have an extra hour forty five minutes and just want to watch something fucking awesome, the Bourne movies hold up. <laughs> the Bourne movies are, are a Fast and Furious franchise. I, I need to pick me up. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm on my work desk right now. And right behind my laptop is the eight disc Blu-ray set of Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> there you go. I thought you were gonna say a framed picture of Jason Bourne. I'm like, all right, man, you're scaring me. Yeah, no. It is. It at some point, I probably had like 400 to 500 DVDs. Oh um, my gosh, one of those guys. But when we moved over here, I obviously just got rid of them. I think we gave them to a uh, like one of the the Goodwill places that also sells DVDs. Um, right like to people uh, I, not I just like you, uh, i probably have you beat with that though my dad was in the the video business for like 20 years so i probably had a couple thousand vhs screeners in my basement so oh like, that's when amazing moved, when we moved like the biggest thing was like how do we get rid of these vhs tapes yeah like our solution was just like okay we're just gonna give them away because i'm sure that like people will get enjoyment out of them um the fast and furious movies i probably i probably kept like 15 i kept the star wars uh box set that i have i kept the fast and furious movies and i kept like a few other like random ones oh you know one thing i kept because it was really fucking hard to find do you remember the documentary gunning for the number one spot of course i do on the elite 24 yeah uh kept that because what what a movie what a- shout out shout out chris rivers pat coombs those guys chris stone they were the one that put it together one of the beastie boys produced it right i think he directed it too yeah yeah um shout out michael beasley running like headfirst into a wall at one point and now he's trying room. out he's in the like the g league thing right oh is he today. yeah him and lance stevenson were like announced today their shams or javoni tweeted it oh it's fantastic well, good for he's gonna be nasty yeah this could actually be really fun. Yeah, right? I know. It's going to be must-see must <laughs> TV. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Um, all right. Matt Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. I'm on Twitter. Matt underscore Penny. Come for um, from pessimism, a couple jokes, some college basketball, some draft stuff. Love to have you. Gavoni released uh, a tweet, and it's incredible. <laughs> a couple more names the real ones might recognize on the loaded G League draft list. Jacob Evans, Tyler Eulis, Cat Barber, Isaiah Briscoe, Phil Booth, Terry Armstrong, Diamond Stone, Quincy Pondexter, Freddie Gillespie, Dusty Annas, Hollis Thompson, Jamario Jones, Corey Jefferson. What a what a group there. 
What a, a lot, group lot of, of a lot of guys that probably need to be a little bit more patient and let the college thing play out, but Yeah. Still um, searching. By the way, also Admiral Schofield is apparently in that, I saw that. Uh, yeah. happening. And Musa too, yeah. Yeah, like Admiral Schofield uh I guess already got released, is that right? You you tell me you're by the minute. Yeah, let's see. Cause he got traded this summer at Oklahoma City. Yeah, he got waived. That's uh it's a surprise to me. I thought he was pretty interesting coming out of yeah. Tennessee. I'm surprised that Tennessee, yeah. Yeah, team didn't give him a longer shot. Tomorrow, uh, I don't know if I'm going to release this late on Thursday night or not, or if I just wait until Friday. I'm going to have a 2021 updated NBA mock draft coming out. Uh, please go to The Athletic, read that, subscribe, do everything you can. Uh, shout out the sponsors that supported the show. Uh, until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Thank you.